All righty then. Um, anybody here ever remember when you were in school and your teacher will let you know that she's not going to be there on the next day? So you would plan in advance the fun that you're going to have when she's not there. You tell your friends what you planned on doing, what you planned on saying, what work you planned on doing, what work you didn't plan on doing. And then you'd show up the next day, and then your teacher would actually be there. And it would just blow up all of your plans. That's what happened today. <laughs> Corey wasn't supposed to be here at all. So I planned on acting a fool up here. And then he shows up, and now I'm stuck in between what I should continue to do. All I needed was one do it. That's all I needed. So I'm going to need like four or five volunteers throughout the process of this message. Um, be brave. It is me that you are coming up here to be a volunteer for. Um, but we are in the Lit series. Today we're talking about we're talking about the light being twisted a little bit. Uh, the, 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 uh, the example that Corey gave me was he said, I, I, I visualize how a light bulb is and how if you just turn a light bulb just a little bit, like just a little bit, it allows for the darkness to creep in. So keep that in mind, right? Actually, let's start now. I need one volunteer. Let's get right to it. Brave soul. Come here, young sir. The Bible tells us to get wisdom, but in all thy getting, get understanding. Today, I want to talk about that understanding. I want to talk about how when our understanding is, is, is messed up, it can also mess up our steps, it can mess up our direction, it can mess up what we do next. What is your name, young sir? Tyron. Tyron, how are you doing today? Okay. All right. So, Tyron, what I'm going to need you to do is I'm going to need you to understand that this is my phone. Whose phone is this? Yours. Correct. Now, I want you to take this phone. Go ahead, open it. There's nothing in there. I'm, I'm righteous at this point in my life. Go ahead and close it back up. Put it in your pocket. Now, what he's doing right now is he's taking ownership of the thing that I gave him, right? But whose phone is that? Yours? Correct. Still mine's. I gave it to him. I let him hold it. I let him open it. I let him kind of like get the details of what's inside of it. I let him take ownership of it. He put it in his pocket. Now he's starting to feel like how it actually feels uh, in the crevice of his jeans. Now I want you to give me back my phone. Yeah, I want, I want the phone with everything that I appreciate it. You may go back to your seat. I appreciate you, young sir. Clap it up for The Bible says, get wisdom, but in all thy getting, get understanding. There's something about this book of Joseph And all of the scriptures that we have put into this book of Joseph, that is really bothering me today. Now, for you who are thinking, what is this book of Joseph that you speak of? The book of Joseph is this book that we created of biblical things that are not biblical things. They're not spiritual. They're not real in any form or fashion. But we take them as the word of God. 
Sometimes when you go to a funeral, you hear someone say, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh. I have a problem with that. I kind of feel like that's a book of Joseph statement. This is why. In Isaiah, God says, I created you. I formed you. I redeemed you. I summoned you. You are mine. But what do we do? We do the opposite of what he did. God gives us something. We take it. We look through it. We get attached to it. And then we say, no, this is mine. And then when that thing has been summoned back to God, we say, Lord, you took something from me. My thought process that I want us to come to an understanding of is, is we've become a people of opinion. And we put our opinion onto the word of God. Instead of taking what God said as is. Do I want another volunteer or do we want to get to the word? I need one more volunteer. Come on. This is going to be interesting. This is going to be really interesting. <laughs> All right. What's your name, young sir? Alex. Alex, do you know what I mean when I say the P dream? Say that again. The P dream. No. Okay. The P dream is when you're dreaming and you're at Cedar Point and you're having a blast. And then all of a sudden there's stairs. So you start walking up the stairs. The next thing you know, you're in your house. Next thing you know, you're in the bathroom. And you got to pee. So you pee for like 38 seconds. And then you wake up. And you've peed on yourself. <laughs> Have you had the pee dream? Maybe when I was a kid. Okay, not lately. All right. You may have a seat. Thank you. Now, the pee dream, keep it in your mind, the pee dream is when something is not really happening. But you have the visualization that it is happening until you come to the reality that it isn't. And normally when you come to the reality that it isn't, now you have to change. Ooh. I can remember when I was four and I had the pee dream and I had to change not only what I had on, but what I was sleeping on and I had to flip my mattress completely over rather than waking my dad up and telling him I had the pee dream. Because at the time, I thought that I was the only person that had the pee dream. But now I know that me and Alex have had it. <laughs> what Satan wants to do is he wants to twist your understanding just enough for you to think that you're doing something. Only for you to come to the realization that you're not actually doing what you thought you were doing. And the issue is, we think that we can hide from the Father that we just peed ourselves. We think that if we just flip the mattress over, that God won't recognize that we aren't doing our jobs. 
Let's get to the word. Let's, let's go to Genesis chapter 3. While you're going to Genesis chapter 3, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to a couple of scriptures that, that kind of point out what God thought about what he was creating. In Genesis 1-4, it says, God saw the light and that it was good. He said he divided the light from the darkness. He said God called the dry land earth in verse 10. And the gathering together of the waters called he the seas, and God saw that it was what? Good. He said he brought forth grass, yielding fruit in verse 12. Seed was in itself and its kind, and God saw that it was good. Verse 18, he says, and to rule over the day, he said, the light would do. And over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. 20 verse, he says, 21, he says that he created whales. He created waters in abundance. Every winged fowl, and God saw that it was good. And 25, it says that he created cattle and beasts of the earth, creepy things after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And then we get to chapter 2. And I want to read verse 21 through 25 before we get to chapter 3. And it says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man. Made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because he was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked. The man and his wife and they were not ashamed. Now we are where we want to be. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. That the Lord God had made, he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just ask that you continue to take over this service. Lord, we see you. We see you at war. We see you at fighting. We see you with your arms open. We see you making a way. We see your provision. We see your patience. We see that you love us. We see that you want us to be in the light. We see your perfect will. Lord, I ask that you open the eyes for anyone who cannot see. Anyone who does not see you as you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Bless up.
Let me go back to something here. In chapter 2, verse 9, it says, And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also is in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, what I said is Satan wants to just, just want to twist the truth just a little bit, just enough for darkness to enter. He said that the tree was good in verse 9. And then we get to chapter 3. And when the enemy comes and he speaks to the woman, he asks her a couple of questions. So the first question he says is, what did God really say about the tree? Was it every tree of the garden that he said you couldn't eat? The first thing that, 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 that God is showing me here is, is, is the first thing that Satan wants you to, to do is he wants you to start to question what God has already told you. The woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. This was her first mistake. She added on to the word of God. God never told Adam that if you touch it, you will die. But when the enemy is able to start to sway your thought process of what God actually said, what you're going to do is you're going to start to add on what you think God meant instead of actually just saying what God said. When confusion comes in, that's when the enemy is ready to attack. Once she added a little bit, then the serpent was able to dive in. You shall not surely die. For what God knows is that if you eat, your eyes are going to be open. You become like God. You're going to know good and evil. This is my problem with that. God tells me in my word that I will withhold no good thing from you. So if I will withhold, withhold no good thing from you is the word of God. And God had already told them that these are the trees that are good for eating. And this is the tree that I don't want you to eat from then that means that these are the only trees that are good. But what is the first thing that she says when she walks away from the serpent? I see this tree and it's good. As soon as the enemy was able to get just a little inch, just a little bit, the first thing that she did was she turned into God herself. Not the image of God that she was created in, but she tried to become a capital G God and say, no, Lord, I think now that this is good for me, even though you said that it isn't. On top of it being good for me, I'm now starting to see that it's actually a beautiful tree. I'm also starting to see that this is a tree that is going to make me wise. Corey said something uh, last week. He said, when God said, let there be light, he was talking about himself. And he said, when he created light, the first thing he did, he did was he separated it from darkness. 
And then he chose to create us inside of the light instead of inside of the darkness. So we were created in the light, and then we were made an image of God when he just said that he was the light. So we were made to be the light. And then the first thing that the serpent tries to say to you is, you're not the light. You're not bright enough the way you are. There's something that God is trying to keep from you to make you uh, feel less than, to feel without. And in order for you to actually be the light, you're going to have to start doing some things that God told you not to do. In Revelations, it says, I saw no temple in the city, but because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates the city. And the lamp and the lamb is its lamp. By its light, the nations will walk. And into the kings of the earth will bring their glory. And it says the gates will never be shut at the end of the day because there will be no night there. It says there will be no darkness there. There will be no evil there. And then what does God say throughout his word about us? It says, you are the light of the world. It says, let your light shine. Let your light shine among the Gentiles. Be a light to the nations. Walk as children of light. Satan knows the importance of your image. He knows the importance of you being an image bearer of Christ. So his main objective is for you not to shine. From the beginning, he has tried to make us believe that we do not look like Christ. This is a problem. When I was in middle school, my stepbrother got suspended from school. And let's just say he got suspended on Monday and his suspension was until Friday. On Tuesday, we got up and we started to walk to school. I did not know he was suspended. My older brother did not know he was suspended. My mother did not know that he was suspended. My father did not know that he was suspended. He was suspended on Monday, but on Tuesday, we began to walk to school. We got to school, we walk up to the doors, we go to go in, I turn around and I say, where are you going, man? He said, I'm just gonna stay out here for a second. I said, all right, cool. I go into school. I come out of school, he's standing right there. We go home. Wednesday, same pattern. Thursday, same pattern. Friday, I get a call from the loud speaker. Kenny Thomas, can you come to the office, please? I come to the office. The principal's like, hey, uh, we called your parents to let them know that Dante's allowed to come back to school on Monday. And uh, they said that he was here. And I was like, oh, well, uh, he walked into school with us this morning. They said, well, uh, we haven't seen Dante since we suspended him on Monday. So they put my mom on the phone. She proceeds to cuss me out. And then she proceeds to cuss my older brother out because she believes that we're all in this together. Um, she says, don't tell him that we know that he's been lying. Just let him come home. So me and my brother being who we are, when we get to him after school, he's right outside. So we just start messing with him. Hey, how'd you do on that math test today? Oh, I did good, man. I think I missed like one or two. 
hey, did you see that fight in the hallway? Yeah, I seen it. I was trying to get your attention, but you must not have seen me. We ask him questions all the way home. So when we get into the <laughs> when we get into our house, my mom asked a question that she only asked this one time in our whole life. I told you this story, didn't I? How was your day? He should have knew that she knew something. Because my mom has never in her life asked any of us how our day was. But he proceeded to tell her how his day was. So then she says, oh, your day was good? Because I was told that you were suspended from school and your dad actually drove around the whole city of Barberton until he found you at Norton Holmes playing basketball at the park. He stood exactly where he was at. She grabbed a broom. With her first swing, she broke the broom over his head. She went back to swing again and hit him with the broom that is now broken and probably would have pierced his skin. And my dad jumped in front of her face and she stopped mid-swing because she seen my dad and it reminded her, oh yeah, I forgot, this is my son. The Bible says, in all of the wisdom that you get, I want you to have understanding. There's a couple of scriptures that I want to make sure that you understand before we leave here today. John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man can cometh unto the Father but through me. What does that actually mean? What was Jesus actually saying? This is an important saying. You guys would agree with that? Like, we don't know what he meant when he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no man can come unto the Father but through him. Like, it's kind of it's kind of our, our plane ticket to heaven. Like, we're going to be at the security gates. Like, uh, I mean, I thought I had a ticket. <laughs> so in the rabbinical uh, tradition, there's, there's a book that I, I read recently, and it talked about this specific scripture. And it's something that's cultural. Uh, in that period of time that we wouldn't just readily know by reading the Bible. And this is what God means when he says, in all the wisdom that you get, try your best to get understanding. Don't just read the Bible at face value, but actually try to look at commentaries and see if you can get some context, some socioeconomic type stuff. And um, I was wondering if I was going to mess up when I said socioeconomic, because that's not a word that I normally use. And um, I want to make fun of Jada. What did she say? Programmatic? It was, it was a big word that she didn't need to use. I wanted to make sure I made fun of you. I don't know where you're at, but me, me and Batty laughed at you, just so you know. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. Now the outer courts of the temple. This is where the people would go when they sinned and they wanted their sins to be remitted. And they would bring forth an offering. And in this place, there would be a cross. It would be not be built like a wooden cross. It kind of was built like this. But it was a cross, and in the middle would be a pit, and that was, that's where they would put their sin offerings. And they would stand in the outer courts while the sin offerings were given. And they would stand and they would watch the offering on the cross. And then their thought process is that the priest would then take the offering inside, right? This place was called the way. Then when you would go from the outer courts through the inner doors, so you can get to the place where the veil was. This was the place that they called the truth. In order for you to get from this place to this place, you had to enter in through the truth. So you guys know what the last place is going to be. On the other side of the veil was the life. 
So for these group of people, they knew every, every time that they would give their offering that they would go to the way. They would sacrifice at the way. Then the sacrifice would be taken from the priest to the truth, and then that truth would lead them to the life. And that was the only way that their sins could be remitted unto God. Then Jesus came and said, no, I am the way. That cross that you put your offerings on, that's me. And don't just stop at the cross because there's more truth that you're going to need in order for you able to be ever to be able to get to God. So don't just stop at the cross because I need you to enter into the truth before you can ever enter into the life. And the reason why you need all three to be able to get to God is because if you don't go through all three, you will never be able to stand in front of the Father. Now, this is where the second part of the scripture is amazing that you have to have understanding. That I don't really think that Satan wants us to understand. You have to be able to look like Christ to be able to stand in front of God. Now, I told you that my mom was about to literally accidentally kill her son on the second swing through because she couldn't afford the thought process of him actually standing in her presence after living the lifestyle that he had been living. God is trying to explain through Jesus in this message that when we stand in front of God, if we come into God's presence and he sees you, you, you're going to be killed immediately because of the way that you live. But when he sees his son, when he goes to destroy you and he sees the light instead of the darkness, this is what's going to keep you. There's a place of understanding that Satan wants you to believe you don't have to go to. He wants you to believe, like, he literally wants you to believe that you don't have to really read your Bible. Just a little bit of twist of the light. I'm going to twist the light just a little bit to let you think that you knowing the stats of what LeBron James averaged is more important than you understanding the content of why the book of Galatians was written. We have the most like blown thought process of what's important. Most of us cannot explain what grace is. And it is by grace through faith that we are saved. And I'm not saying this in a, uh, this is me and, and this is you context. I'm saying this in a, we got to get it together as a group of people because what is the light supposed to do? It's supposed to go into all nations. How can we go into all nations if we're still in the dark ourselves? What part of the light are we trying to get? Are we trying to get like Christmas lights where you just put it up sometimes and then the rest of the seasons we just keep it in our garage? 
Are we trying to be like the street light? Like we just only come on certain times of the day? And then the other part of the day, we just expect for the sun to keep everybody else lit? I think that's where it is. I think we expect for Corey to be the one to do it for a certain period of time. And then when it's our time, then we'll turn our lights on. Somebody has showed me where Jesus invited somebody to church. I'll wait. I'll give you another scripture from the book of Joseph. Come as you are. Show me where that's at. I'll wait. Come as you are. This was, a, this was a verbiage that was given during a period of time where all they wanted people to do was come to church. They cared not about what you did when you got here, how you changed when you arrived, how you were. This is what our conversations sound like. Oh, my God. You, you, you went through what? Oh, my goodness. It's Monday. And you're going through this already? You got a church home? Oh, Lord Jesus, you don't have a church home. I have the perfect church home for you. It's Monday, 12, 18. Look, Sunday at 11 o'clock. Meet me at 3rd Street, 1253 3rd Street, southeast, right? Go through door two, because only Batty and KT go through door one. <laughs> hey, it's Monday, 12, 17. Church starts Sunday at 11. See you there. I hope that you don't kill yourself between Tuesday and Sunday. I hope that life doesn't put you in a situation that you're not able to, to actually get out of your bed between Tuesday and Sunday. I hope that you don't get into a place that you actually end up fighting your child or beating up your wife or losing your job between now and the next time that I see you. But if I see you on Sunday... Praise be to God, because we'll get the worship together for an hour and a half. And then I'm going to leave you again for another seven days until I invite you to our service again. Where did Jesus do that? We're calling people to church, not relationship. You don't need any type of suit. Just come as you are. We're more thankful, thoughtful of what the person has on when they come to church instead of what's messed up inside. When we tell people to come as you are, it's not because they're an alcoholic. It's because they don't want to come to church because it's first Sunday and we're going to wear a suit. Jesus' invitation was like, come to me and I will give you rest. Follow me and I will show you how to reproduce spiritually. Abide in me, connect with me, and I'll be able to show you how to produce fruit. Where is that conversation at with the people that we, 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 we react on, I mean, uh, the people that we see on a day-to-day -day basis? How did you become a disciple? You literally left everything that you were doing. Just imagine if Jesus was like, Peter, I see you, and I hope to see you again at temple on Sunday. No need to, 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 to drop everything and follow me. Where did we get this thought process that when we meet someone on Monday, they're not supposed to see us again on Tuesday? I tell you where we got it from. The enemy has told us that it is not our responsibility 
to have relationship with people unless we already know them. There's no need for us to actually pour into a stranger. There has to be someone else's responsibility who actually knows them. Jesus had no relationship with Peter when he met him. He had no relationship with any disciple before he actually laid eyes on them, unless you look at the spiritual understanding of the fact that he knew them since they were born. But physically, he did not look at them as someone else's responsibility. I asked this question a long time ago. When is it going to be us that changes the community? When are we going to look at whose responsibility that is to change something and just say me, my name only? I'm not asking for anyone else to do anything extra, but I'm going to take responsibility as KT and do what God called KT to do. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Like, he didn't say go, therefore, and ask people to come to church on Sunday. He said, make disciples. How do you do that without having relationship and spending intimate time with one another? We've declined relationship. And this is why Satan wants us in the dark. Because the dark is confusing. You ever tried to read something in the dark? Batty, like, literally has redone half my house. And one thing I learned about Brian Atkins is that this dude don't look at manuals. Dre, he don't look at any manual. He redoing wires. He tearing walls down, building walls up. He open up boxes. I seen him open up a box, throw the manual like it was like uh, the wedding garment that you throw over your shoulder. He just threw the manual to the back like, I'm not going to look at this at all. And 95% of the time that he's fixed something, it's worked. He needed no manual whatsoever. But this one time, he was fixing a light fixture. And me and him were struggling for like 25 minutes. Now, when I say me and him, I mean him. I was standing. He was doing everything. (laughs) I did nothing whatsoever. And then eventually I was like, let me pick up the manual. So I had to search through, like, all the styrofoam that, the, uh, that, that came in the box because he just tossed the manual when he opened the box. And this was the second light fixture that he actually was fixing. So he fixed the, the first light fixture with no manual. And it got to a point to where we were like, well, the tools and, and, and everything that's in the box just must be, like, wrong. Like, we're going to have to either send this thing back or we're going to have to tell Candace that this light ain't going up as is. It's going to look a little bit different than how she bought it. And then we looked at each other like, who's telling her that? Because I'll be cuss word. You know what cuss word I use. If I'm the one that's got to tell her. It's your responsibility. You're the one getting paid. (laughs) So then I looked at the manual and I was like, hold on, Brian. I I think all you have to do is twist this thing to the left a little bit. And then he looked at the manual and he was like, you're right. This is what I got out of that. There's a manual. I don't know if you guys ever read it. And if you actually read the manual instead of just tossing to the side like we do from time to time, you won't think that it's actually something wrong with the package. Man. You won't think that the package is missing something. You won't think that the package is just the wrong size. You won't think that, okay, I have to change 
the way that God said this was supposed to look. You will be able to just look at the manual, figure out the directions, and then be able to make sure that you look exactly like God created you to look without any excuses, without setting you aside, without worrying about a conversation that you have to have with somebody else. If we would just take into consideration what the word of God says and take it seriously from beginning to end, because what does a manual tell you? It tells you exactly what tools are in the box. It tells you step by step what steps you have to take to make this thing look exactly like the creator expected for it to look. You can't skip a couple pages. You can't say this is my favorite part of the manual. you got to actually read it from beginning to end, from instruction to instruction, from step to step. And when you get done, you will look like an image that when you stand in front of God, he will say, look at my son. My well servant, my good servant. That's not what Satan wants us to look like. He wants us to walk in darkness. I need two volunteers. Am I being late? How long I've been up here? Only black people said take your time. I need at least three white people to say, take your time, or I'm going to wrap this thing up. <laughs> Every time I preach, I'm surprised I get asked to do it again. I need two, I need two volunteers, and I'm going to blindfold you. Now, I expected a girl to be here, so since it's both of you guys, one of you guys is going to have to take the zebra one. All right, this is what we're going to do. Eddie is going to be the blind. And what is your name, young sir? Ben. Ben is going to be the blind. Eddie's going to be the blind. And then Ben's going to be the blind. Blind, yeah. I'll call him blind too. Ben is blind too. Now, Eddie, I'm going to turn you towards the direction of the word of God. Ben, I'm going to put you behind Eddie. Right? Eddie, the word of God is directly in front of you. All you have to do is walk forward. Trust me. It's a phone. <laughs> walk forward. Stop. Put your hands forward and down. Pick up the phone. Now you have the word of God. And you have not looked at all. Now put the word of God back down. And walk back to Ben. Turn around. There's Ben. Ben, walk forward. Now, Eddie, you know where the word of God is. Can you turn back around? Turn back around. Grab Ben's hand. And take Ben to the word of God. Now stop. This wasn't a part of the demonstration. But for some odd reason, once you grabbed his hand, you stopped walking straight. But I'm going to take this as unfaithfulness. <laughs> now you, you, you feel it. You feel it. Now grab the word of God. Where is it at? It's not there anymore? That's real disrespectful, right? Now, you may take your glasses or your uh, blindfold back off. Everybody get it up for Eddie and Ben.
You guys can keep that. It's COVID season. I don't want it back. We didn't test you at the door. Only one person here is tested. No one, no one else is safe. <laughs> it's amazing how you can be in the dark and then you receive the word of God and then you walk away from the word of God. And you think that you're in the light and then you go to grab somebody and bring them back to the word of God, still in the dark, and the word of God isn't there anymore. That's what it looks like when we try to add on to the word of God. We become the blind leading the blind. That is the, 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 the visual depiction of what I have in my mind when I think of someone who hungers for the word of God, but they're still in the dark. And then they receive the word of God, and then they go back to where they were before they started to walk towards the word of God in the first place. And then when they get back to where they were in a racist society, in a sexist society, in a society full of prejudice, in a society where Republicans hate Democrats and Democrats hate Republicans, but they're standing in the exact same room, supposed to be able to fix the country that they have been made charge over, in a society where children are put into prison for killing their brothers and sisters and the parents are allowed to be able to walk free like it's not their fault that the gun is in the house in the first place. In a society that we just go back to the exact trash, that the exact vomit that we had walked away from in the first place and then with the right heart try to lead someone back to the word of God. With no light. With no light. I know with a surety that Eddie has the light, but just with a small blindfold, this was not rehearsed. He couldn't even walk straight again. He was a, even if the word of God would have been there, if I wouldn't have told him to stop, he would have walked straight past it. Jesus answered, why do you refuse to obey God's command? Is it so that you can follow those traditions that you have? He said, these people honor me with their words, but I'm not really important to them. Their worship of me is worthless. The things they teach are only human things. They can recite the preamble. They can tell you what the Constitution says. I'm not a very smart person. I don't know what the preamble is or why I just said that. Is that something that's like American? Okay. Hey, I got straight A's when it comes to theology. I failed out of college. God's the only thing I know. <laughs> what we do is we, we, we find the word of God. We leave the word of God. Then we blindly try to bring others to the word. But in the darkness of the traditions, in the darkness of racism, in the darkness of politics, in the darkness of sexism, in the darkness of prejudiced hearts, the word can't be found. And the only thing that we will find is more darkness. We are sharing darkness with people when we tell them our opinion of people instead of our opinion of Christ. 
We have become the blind leading the blind. And that's the end goal of Satan. Think about it. You walk differently in the light than you do in the dark. You guys have seen me walk in the light. I'll show you how I walk in the dark. If it was pitch dark in here, this would be my movement. Because I'm not moving nowhere if I can't see. I'm going to say that again. I'm not moving any. Why haven't we been moving? Why is ministry not at the top level? Because we can't see where we're going. A lady asked me yesterday, KT, when's the last time you did your vision? I proudly said, 2021. Went like that with my jacket. She said, when's the last time you looked at it? The same day I created it. Well, why did you create it? Because Corey asked me to. (laughs) She said, KT, you're walking in the dark without a vision. I said, so you're not going to bring Corey up at all? He's my leader. (laughs) It's his fault. The Bible says, Luke, it says, to shine upon those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. God knew what we would be doing in the darkness, sitting. He said, guide our feet to the way of peace. It says in, uh, I think it's Proverbs. He said, be a, be a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Because I know that if I'm in darkness, I won't move. You talk differently in the light than you do in the dark. How you talk when you hear something and you, you, you can see? You hear that? How you talk when you're in the darkness? Is there anybody out there? <laughs> Why aren't we speaking boldly to people that we know are doing wrong? Because we're fearful. We're fearful of losing our jobs. We're fearful of what HR is going to say. I need one last volunteer. I'm going to get out of you guys' way. Either or. Actually, I can't use you because you know me. She doesn't know me, so can I use you? I'm sorry. You was, you was ready to volunteer. Jesus would never do you like that. Let me tell you that. Yep. There's two things that I want to talk to you about. And I don't know you at all. Am I right? What's my name? She said, I don't, she said, I don't know you. I feel a little disrespected because I think they, they announced my name at the beginning. Were you here? You was paying attention? You was on your phone? It's cool. <laughs> so, she does not know me. Am I correct? So if I told you that you cannot come in to our church because you do not know me, what would you say? You'd have felt a little disrespected? Church is church. You should be able to come in regardless. I agree. Third Street wouldn't do you like that. Do you remember? Let me go get you an application. 
I'm a little not prepared, so I'm about to search the scripture real quick. Good thing I got a 5G. It's Matthew 7. Can you quote that for me? Matthew 7, verse 23. Yeah, I'm not going to show it to you. I just want you to quote it. No? Okay. It says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that worketh iniquity. Is that what that says? You in agreement with me? What's your name again? Everybody give it up for Asia. You may go have a seat, Asia. This is what I heard Asia say. I expect to be able to come in here regardless of the fact that you don't know me. But I'm sure that Asia would say that if the only requirement was knowing me, if the only requirement was knowing me, and you didn't know me, and I told you that you couldn't come in, would you be okay with that? No? Okay. These people were told, I don't know you. Did, was their response a response of people who did not know God? They didn't say like, hey, um, I know I don't know you, but it's kind of hoping since I know Batty and he got in, um, I can get like a a guest ticket into heaven. Their response was, I prophesied in your name. I know what your name is. And I didn't just like find out what your name is. I operated in the gift that you said your children would have and I used your name in that gift. And in that same name, not I tried to cast out devils, and it didn't work, and I felt like maybe it was just the person, but it had obviously nothing to do with me. But I cast out devils in your name. And it was a lot of other wonderful works that I did. How can you stand here and tell me that you don't know who I am? And he says, I don't know you regardless of what you think you've been doing, regardless of what you thought you've seen, you, this, is what, this is what I hear. You obviously have been operating in the dark because if you would have been in the light, I would be able to see you right now. Not I knew you and I don't know you anymore, but I never knew who you were. There's a heaviness that's in this room. And it's because of darkness. And Corey said to me when I, when I first got started, he said, I hope you're ready. And I hope that your shoulders can bear the heaviness. And I smiled and I walked away. And I said to myself, oh, I can handle it. And then I came up here and I sat down. And as you guys seen, within seconds, I was on my knees because the heaviness was too heavy to bear. 
I'm not talking about what the city of Canton is going through. What the people in this room The darkness that you guys are in right now is too heavy for me to bear. What you've been praying to God for earnestly, what you've been crying yourself to sleep about, I cannot put on my shoulders, but we serve a God. that is able to do the impossible if you will believe. Jesus came to a city. It was a city full of darkness. Every man and every woman just about was dealing with a heaviness. And a woman came to him and she said, Jesus, if you would have just got here a couple of days ago, I wouldn't be going through this darkness that I'm going through. Lord, I prayed, I asked, I came and I told you what was going on. God, I, I spoke to you face to face. And you did not come when I asked you to. When's the last time you cried? When's the last time you weeped over what God said? When's the last time that you said to yourself, I am not going to let you go, God, until you give me exactly what you told me you were going to give me? The Bible says that when people around him began to weep, that he wept. He did not weep because that he knew that he couldn't do anything about what they were going through. He did not. He told the disciples, I am waiting on purpose. I'm trying to get my people to a place to where God's glory can be seen and that the light will shine through the darkness. They said, Lord, I do not want you to go into this place of darkness. It smells like death. It smells like it's been going on for days. It, it smells like defeat. It smells like evil. It, it smells like I would expect darkness would smell like. And God said, watch what I do. When I take this stone and I make darkness flee from my marvelous light, it is now time to respond. It is now time to forget what everybody told you was dead. It is now time to remove yourself from people who think that it's okay to just sit in the living room and mourn. It's time to remove yourself from the people who've been trying to tell you that Jesus is not at the city gates. That Jesus is not waiting for you at Third Street. That there is no relationship for you with God. That this is something that just happens. That this is something that you just got to deal with. That this is something that you just got to get over. This person is just gone. Your job is just hell. Your life is just bad. Your marriage is just over. Your children are just bad. Your finances are just gone. Your credit isn't going to get better. It is time for us to believe that if we would just cry out to the God that said, I will keep a treasure of your tears. Surround yourself around people who want to weep with you, not weep for you. 
Surround yourself around people who want to take you to where Jesus is. Surround yourself around people who want relationship, not church attendance. My Bible says that Jesus was deeply moved. He came to where the darkness was. By this time, the odor of the four days of death, of evil, of, weak, of wickedness was already present. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So that he took away the stone. And Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you. I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, he called out in a loud voice, come out. Lazarus, come out. Put your name in that space right there. Come out whatever it is, whatever it is that Satan told you you were supposed to be in. I, I, I know, I know with everything that's in me that Satan has told someone in here that you deserve what you're going through. That it's not going to get any better. The Bible says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I told you what I do in darkness. I told you what the Bible says we do in darkness. It says we sit. It says we stand. The valley of the shadow of death is the darkest place on earth. But the Bible says that we walk through it. How could we do that if the light is not inside of us? There is a valley that you're in. Woo, this is good work. There's a valley that you're in that the light inside of you is going to allow for you to get to the end of because you are the light. It's not going to be someone else's light that's going to help you get through what you're going through. It's going to be the light that God has put inside of you. 